0: been a delightful weekend yes, sir. you know you don't have opportunities to do these kind of things every weekend but uh when you do it's just a wonderful thing to have a the opportunity to fellowship in the word and the studies and the teaching and so forth and i for me it's a great thrill to be able just to sit and listen to other other guys preach and uh i've heard everything i have to say <laughs> so here's some other guys get the chance to to do that that that's encouraging to me and uh... the fellowship with the saints just to have a chance to see you and enjoy the fellowship together uh... you know i i just thank god for the fellowship in the gospel and uh... all the work it takes to put a meeting like this together the the guys that have been working around here the building and the facilities and the supplies and the hospitalities and you can't do it without the ladies and uh... the the hospitality that, that, that warms your heart and rick mentioned a minute ago about uh churches where they have a greeting time that's really a catholic tradition that uh, comes from the catholic church and i don't know exactly why protestants do it except that they want everybody to say hello to one another and uh, that's not such a hard thing to do anyway you know just get to meet people and uh, if you're in a big congregation if you want to meet people sit somewhere different next week (laughs) and just move around a little bit you know that's something you can do and people sometimes say, well, that wasn't a very friendly group. Well, how friendly were you going in, you know, and that kind of thing. If you want, you know, if a man wants to have friends, he has to show himself friendly. And uh, you want to meet people, You well, shake your hand out and say, hi, I'm Richard. Or, you shouldn't say that, but you should. <laughs> stick your hand out and say hi. <laughs> and uh, it's amazing. We, we, in our evangelism training, we teach people that uh, one, one of the easiest ways to get a gospel conversation going is say, hi, I'm Richard. Or hi, I'm whoever. You put your name there. Don't go say hi, I'm Richard, because I've had people do that. You know, <laughs> but just just let people know you're a person, and they are too. And that, that's that's an amazing thing. But I I just say the Apostle Paul never thanked anybody for for doing things. Do you ever notice that? He always said, I thank God for you. I don't want to steal your rewards by it being about you. But I do want you to know we thank God for the fellowship and the gospel and the and, and the opportunity with you. I appreciate the guys that have been preaching. I appreciate Rick. He's my son. I have to appreciate that. But I've got three boys, and, and, and uh, we're, we're, we're happy to have all three of them. And I uh, appreciate them, and I appreciate Rick especially, his heart, for the, the work of the ministry. And I never told any of my kids that they had to preach or anything that they had to do. I, I used to tell them, said, I don't care what you do. Be a garbage collector all right with me. Just live for the Lord Then I discovered how much garbage collectors make in Chicago And I suggested maybe you should be a garbage collector Some of the gar- When you get close to six figures for picking up garbage I think that's probably a good career move <laughs> But uh, you know you appreciate that And, and I compliment you in, in the assembly 20, 20 years of ministry And that was something this weekend We make a lot of it but it is something you don't want to miss That 20 years ago is when the, the burden to start this assembly uh, became a reality and the opportunity and it's, uh, it's a blessing to see the, the fruit of that and you have a nice place here you fill it up with people it would be good to see the fruit of it if you were still meeting in the living room but it's nice that you're not and we thank God for the men that have come along and the ladies with them to stand with the ministry. That make, that's what makes the ministry work and I appreciate just as a, as a father uh, and I can say this for my wife, you guys standing with our son, but more importantly, standing for the truth that we preach and that he preaches. And, and I thank God for that. And they also celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary this year. That's an endurance contest that <laughs> deserves being, being complimented. What he mentioned a minute ago about going to Alaska yesterday, they, the, the congregation presented uh, him a, a gift he and, he and his wife, a gift to go to Alaska. My wife and I just celebrated our 50th anniversary this past summer. We had to wait 50 years to get to Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> so they're ahead of us, and uh, that's, uh, you know, I don't I'm, I don't know what he'll do for his 50th anniversary, if the Lord tarries, <laughs> because going to Alaska pretty much tops it off, but my wife wanted to do that for 50 years, and, or for about 40 years, and we finally accomplished it, and I'm glad he's able to do it a little sooner. And by the way, I'll, I'll, I'll repeat to you what I said last night. There are folks on the Internet, as well as some of you, that didn't know about that because it was a secret. The church here kind of knew about it. But if you'd like to participate financially in helping provide that gift, you can do that. You can use Zelle or you can use PayPal. Be sure to mark it for the, for the anniversary gift, or you can just put a check in the box back there and do that. And... Uh, Ricky, son Rick, grandson Ricky was, was taking the money up for the thing from the church here so that Rick didn't see it so that's how they kept the secret but uh, you can give it to him too and he promises to convey it over to his dad's <laughs> account <laughs> and now that his mother knows about it she watches all of his accounts she said to him this morning said, I wondered why you had that extra savings account <laughs> so anyway I'll just tell you about that and I appreciate Brother John being here uh, you know, John is sort of my son in the faith, uh, he, the work of the ministry from the, I, I remember the first time I met John was in a Bible conference in Atlanta, Georgia, he and his wife came to the conference, he was, he was a Marine station in, at Pendleton and he had been sent on, a, on, a, on a, uh, some kind of training to Atlanta, we had a Bible conference there, he saw the ad and came and his oldest son Christopher was just a baby and a little bouncer and I can still remember his wife sitting back there bouncing the baby and us studying the Bible. And we've known John ever since. He's the first person that went through Grace School of the Bible in the video. And so we, you know, we've appreciated John's ministry uh, through the years. And I, I really uh, appreciate the fellow laborer in the, in, in the, in the, in the ministry, from, really from the first day. And th- those things mean a lot to you. And when you get older, uh, as I'm getting, you appreciate seeing guys coming behind you. And you appreciate having them have guys coming behind them. And that, 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 that's a blessing. And that's what w- the work of the ministry is all about. And uh, the, the, the opportunity to have the, the fellow soldiers that work together. You've got men here uh, in the assembly here starting a, a new round of Grace School of Bible. It's nice to meet some of you guys that I've never met in person. And uh, maybe we can sit and eat lunch together today and, and uh, you can tell me your war stories. But uh, it, it, it's just a joy to, to, to be able to fellowship those kind of ways. And uh, that that fellowship in the gospel is is precious, and I hope you value it and esteem it. I believe the most important thing you have in your life is a local church like this. Everything else can come and go and change. We have people, I live in Chicago area. It was 17 there this morning when I got up. I checked a little while later, and it was 27, heading to a blazing 35. And so we have people. We have very few people that move there. <laughs> we, we had a couple uh, this year move from California there for the doctrine. But that doesn't. Ha- most of our people move away. We got some, you know <laughs> sitting. Well, we have some of you that we can t- account for that. And oh, yeah, I, understand, you know, I understand that. But you know, if you're going to move somewhere, I think the first question ought to be: Is there a local church to go to? People say I'm going to go for climate. Not near as important as a local church I'm going to go for senior I'm going to go for economics The most important thing is have a good sound local church Where the message of grace is preached Out of the word rightly divided I tell our guys Preach the right message out of the right book in the right spirit And I thank God for your ministry here Now my topic this morning Kind of goes along with that Officially it's serving now In the house of God And you know What I'd like to do is to kind of put a point uh, on, on what we've been studying this weekend. Not that you haven't got the point, but I'd like to whittle it all together and make a point, maybe put a period of, of emphasis at the end of it so that you can get it. Uh, there's a phrase, I have a little thing over my, my office, the doors that go out, uh, and my kids gave it to me years ago, it's so a little plaque says, perhaps today, you've seen that. There's another phrase that I keep in my mind constantly. It's a phrase of Martin Luther. And he says, today counts forever. And you need to understand that. Maybe the Lord will come today, maybe he won't. But today, whether he does or he doesn't, counts forever. Every day is a day of grace. And every day is designed to count in your life for his glory forever. You're building things in your life now that go with you. And all the glorification that God gets through his son And accomplishes through his son He accomplishes it because it lives in and through us That's how he's chosen to manifest his grace and his glory All the spectacular uh, uh, design of who he is through us So we're going to talk about What I said the topic was (laughs) Serving now in the house of God I'm not great with titles, so when I get one, I need to remember it. Second Timothy chapter 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which thou hast learned of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this, this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Let's, let's pray just a moment. Father, we thank you today for the opportunities we've had this weekend to fellowship together around your word, the truth of it, and for the edification that it can provide and produce in your people. We pray this morning as we study together that what we say, what we do, as we, as we uh, enjoy this, these moments might honor your son and edify your saints in Christ's name. If you look back with me, 2 Timothy, it's, it's fascinating, the pastoral epistles, we call them, 1, Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And they're personal epistles that Paul writes to preachers and ministers. 1 Timothy, we often talk about the church in rule. He tells you, here's how the local church ought to operate. In 2 Timothy, which is the last book Paul wrote, you, you see the church in ruin. All they in Asia have turned away from me. And in every chapter, he talks about the, the departure. Chapter 2, he talks about they, they've erred concerning the truth. Chapter 3, talks about their reprobate concerning the truth. Chapter 4, talks about they won't, they, they won't withstand the truth. They'll throw it away. All of them. And every chapter, when he does that, he gives the corrective for it. So you see the ruin. And then Titus comes after that. Now, I used to think, why in the world would he, wouldn't he put 2 Timothy at the end since it's the last book he wrote? Why would he stick Titus after that? But what you see in Titus is if you see the church in ru- rule operating, then you see it in ruin, what do you do? If church history began in, with the body of Christ in total apostasy, what are we to be doing for 2,000 years? How do you operate? Well, that's what Titus is about. Because Titus says, I left you in Crete to set the things that are wanting. All the the activity, now that the church is in apostasy, what are you to do? You're to be reminded of what what he tells you in Titus. So Titus literally gives you the the standard by which you're going to have to live and carry on ministry in view of the apostasy. And then Philemon, that little book at the end that's so, so often overlooked, I get people arguing with me whether it's a pastoral epistle or not, but it certainly is because in it, you're reminded of what all the doctrine that he's been teaching you is designed to look like in an assembly. Now all of that kind of gets its start in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So the first responsibility is don't change the doctrine if you want to know what your local church's responsibilities are here they are and the first three are negative don't change the doctrine take what the things that i've committed unto thee commit to faithful men who should teach others also your ministry isn't a success once you've taught somebody it's only a success when the person you've taught have have correctly presented it to the next generation you follow that Sometimes you think, well, I've, I've got a success because I've got people and they've listened to me. When you really know you've succeeded is when you've got a downline that's too deep. That's what 2 Timothy 2 is talking about. And you can't change it. If you change the doctrine, listen to the people you're teaching, you to going to change it more. So first thing is you don't change the doctrine. You find out what the truth that God's committed to us through Paul and you maintain that. Then he says, neither give heed to fables. A fable is a story. Don't pay attention to stories. Don't look at personal experience. A friend years, years ago used to talk about the C N S gang. You know who they are. <coughs> in Chicago. We have a lot of gangs. You got them here in, in in the Phoenix area. The worst gang in the world is the C N S gang. Circumstances and situations that come along and beat the fire out of you in life, and they happen, don't they? And our circumstances and our situations often is the way we value and judge and, and, and esteem what's going on. And he said, don't pay attention to all that. And you, in your ministry, it isn't stories that pe- people tell you about the success or the failure. Don't pay attention to all the stories. Experienced based religion is the bane. You know, you have a big thing today. It's called worship music. You know, I think about that. Are you supposed to worship music? You see how they even gave you the title and fooled you with the title, and the title told you what was wrong? You worship, you use music to worship. You don't worship music. And when you call it worship music, it's exactly what it is. You're worshiping the emotional experience you have while you're singing. When you worship, when you use music to worship, what you do then is you honor the doctrine and the the content of what you're singing. And that's why worship music is all almost content, completely void of doctrine. You, you sing the songs you, you, you're singing here this morning. Think about the content in them. Think about the doctrine that it communicates, that the writer understood, went through the crucibles of life and put together in, in a poetic form, and used that to express sound doctrine. You notice how when you sing some of those songs, you just kind of sit up straighter in the pew? You know, you're not juking. It doesn't make you want to dance in the aisle. It wants to make your heart do something. Well, that's what it's designed to do. Don't give heed to genealogies. A genealogy is the traditions. So don't follow the traditions of men, religious traditions and and, and that kind of thing. Don't pay attention to stories, experience-based things. Don't change the doctrine. Then what am I to do? Which minister questions? And by the way, that is true. That verse in Galatians five about they bite and devour one another, <laughs> and you look at Christian today, and that's exactly what it is—is is biting and devouring one another, rather than godly edifying. Now, what is that? So do. <coughs> so what are you to do? You're to produce godly edification. Now, by the way, everybody—you you hear people talk about charity and we ought to love everybody, and you need to be one with everybody, and let's don't fight with anybody, you know, look at verse 5, now the end of the commandment, now that's not the commandments of Moses, that's the commandment Paul just gave Timothy, context is king, the end of, if you do what I just told you to do in verse 3, 4, if you don't change the doctrine, if you don't pay attention to Fables and endless genealogies But you do give your ministry to godly edification If you produce godly edification Which is in faith What that will produce in your people Is what verse 5 Charity So where does charity come from Let's love everybody I got news for you dudes You ain't going to love everybody Now you ought to Sure But knowing you You're not There are going to be some people just rub you wrong that you aren't going to like. Can you imagine? There are people in the world who don't like me. I find that astounding. My wife finds it repulsive. Thank goodness. But it's true. That isn't the criteria. The criteria is charity. And where does charity come from? You see how honest it is? It's out of a pure heart. It's of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. But the source of charity is godly edification. And if you want to have charity in your midst where people learn to work together not based upon their, uh, their, their, their social status or their economic status or their relationships or the fact that you like red card, uh, strawberry ice cream and, and, and not butter pecan ice cream, if that was the criteria, I'd have never made 50 years of marriage. It's not the outward... Is that we learn to value and esteem one another the way God values and esteems us. We begin to think about one another the way He thinks about us, and we see our differences not as differences, but as opportunities for us to grow. But it comes out of, the charity comes out of godly edifying. Listen, every problem the world faces, you listening? Every problem the world faces, you name them, the answer, the only lasting real answer, is in the gospel of Jesus Christ in the truth of god's grace one of the great tragedies of our nation is that over the last 50 years 75 years now in the great metropolitan areas of our nation 53 percent of the population of our country lives in the 50 largest metropolitan areas in our nation a hundred years ago 1919 Every major metropolitan area in America had strong, big, vibrant, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches and ministries in them. In the last 50 to 75 years, all of those metropolitan areas have seen those Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, gospel-preaching ministries abandon the cities. And you can go into the inner city of any of the major metropolitan areas in our nation, and in the core of those cities where the problems are the truth isn't being proclaimed out of God's word. That doesn't mean there aren't Christians there. That doesn't mean there aren't some churches there. But they are all the churches doing the three things there he says don't do. People that have problems will solve their problems, or at least try to. And if the truth isn't there, they'll solve the problems with error. And you know what that gets you? More trouble. The answer to the problems that people have because of our sin nature and our sin sin activities is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a local assembly, our privilege is to preach that message wherever we are and to make it clear. And charity comes out of that godly edifying. So it's important to understand the godly edification issue. We've talked about that this weekend. We went over it. Rick went over the foundation issues Look with me if you will back at Romans chapter 16 just real quick When you, when you build when you, when you, The word edification An edifice is a, is a structure This building is an edifice Paul says "As a wise master builder I've laid a foundation There is a, there's a, a, a master plan to build a building When you build a building like this they don't come in and put the roof, on, the roof in first. I've watched buildings go up where we are. Some of you that are old as I am, do you remember, did you ever know anybody that bought their house from Sears? Can you imagine a world without Sears? I can't. Now, you younger people, you, know, you don't even know what Sears is. But they were the Amazon of 100 years ago. And I don't have any pity for them for going out of business. Listen, there's nothing Amazon did that they didn't do earlier. And could have done in the computer age had they been on the ball. But back, uh, back in, the, in the era when Sears was popular, everybody had a Sears magazine, by the way, you know, catalog. <laughs> Every outhouse you ever went in had Sears catalogs. <laughs> <laughs> but you could buy a house. I know a fella in Alabama that bought his house from Sears. And they shipped it to him on the back of a flatbed truck in boxes. And they loaded it out in his yard. And he took that and he built his home. And that house still sits there on that farm lot in Alabama today. And you say, whoa. He just had this, everything was, but now, you know, when he started building that house, he didn't, Come in one day and says, you know, it's a nice cool day today. It gets hot in Alabama in August. So I don't think I want to be on, I don't want to be putting on roofing in August. I think it's a nice cool morning. I think today I'll put the roofing on first. And he goes out in the yard and starts tacking the shingling down on the grass. Now, he could, tie, he could lay that, 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 sh- that roofing out perfectly square, get the little blue line and pop it and right, run them right across and across. Do it perfect but would it be of much help? It's in the wrong place. You don't put the roof on first, you put the foundation in first. So there is an order, there is a blueprint to the building of the edifice. That's why it says godly edifying. You want to to edify people, build build the doctrine of God's word into their inner man the way God has it in operation today. That's why you have to understand the right division. That's why you have to do it the way God says to do it. But there is an order in which you learn the doctrine. Paul says that perfected saints do the work of the ministry. Well, then how do you become a perfected saint? Well, Romans 16, when he finishes the book of Romans, he explains that to you. That's what chapter 16, verse 25 and 26 is talking about. Romans 16, 25. By the way, in chapter 1, he says, I'm writing to you so that I can establish you in the mutual faith so that you would be able to believe and understand what I know the things which thou hast learned of me commit thou to faithful men who can teach others also Paul couldn't go to Rome at the time so he wrote a book aren't you glad he wrote the book if he'd taken the trip we wouldn't have known what he said but he didn't take the trip he wrote a book and you've got the book because it's part of the Bible one of those little blessings and he wrote it to lay the foundation but then you're going to build a super how laid lay the foundation? Other build on it Here's how you build on it, Romans 16, 25. Now to him there's a power to establish you according to my gospel and he's going to establish you according to the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest and he's going to establish you according to the scriptures of the prophets. So there's a three-step process whereby he's going to establish, perfect, bring to maturity and stability believer, and it's 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 going to produce this building in, in, in the soul. My wife told me last night that I bored her because I didn't draw on the chalkboard, and she went to sleep. So I'm going to draw on the chalkboard. Okay, it, it, it's like it's like a it's like a step stepping stone. There's a foundation. Then you take a next step and you move up the next step. Then you take a next step and you're going to move up the next step. And then there's the next step and you're going to be up here on the top. What you do in in the in the process Paul's epistles are laid out this way and and the brothers yesterday went over this in fine fashion I don't I'm just going to review it with you you have the book of Romans that's doctrine you have the book of Ephesians that's a book of doctrine then you have the book of Thessalonians that's books of doctrine and then you have Timothy Titus and Philemon the pastoral epistles up here. These are church epistles. There are nine of them written as seven local churches. Just like there are nine church epistles, Hebrews to Revelation. Romans talks about the issue in Romans is the issue of the cross, the cross work of Christ. By the way, you know what the issue in Hebrews is? How the cross works for Israel. The last one of these books up here is about the coming of Christ. The rapture mentioned last night is mentioned in every chapter in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. So you move from the cross, Ephesians talks about the church, the body of Christ, this new agency, and you go to the coming. Hebrews explains the cross to Israel. The second set of those books, 2nd Peter, talks about the congregation in Israel. The book of Revelation talks about the coming. The same edification process in here for us works in Hebrews epistles. I'm talking about them. I'm talking about that, that's just a side thing, didn't cost you anything, just something you think about. Romans, there's, your Bible has is, 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 is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Doctrine and proof for correction. These things make up instruction and in righteousness. You're never going to know how to function properly in your life as a believer if you don't know sound doctrine. If you don't let that sound doctrine Cor- reprove your bad behavior And correct your bad thinking When you come to the place in your life When you appreciate the correction and the reproof As much as you correct the doc- appreciate the doctrine You'll see your life work Sometimes people just like the doctrine They don't want it correcting their behavior Reproving them They don't want it correcting their thinking Reproof says that's wrong Correction says here's how to fix it it isn't just doctrine. It's to live in your life. The epistles are that way. Romans is followed by Corinthians and, and Galatians. And what these books do, Romans is doctrine, Rep- Corinthians is reproof, Galatians is correction. We went over that la- last night. Yesterday, Rick did a thing on doctrine, about the book of Romans, been the foundation. John went through Paul's epistles. He only got through this far, but you got the, you got the point. Okay? Here, you're getting the foundation of the mystery program. You're seeing the basis upon which everything is rest, and that's the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you become oriented to God's grace. You'll never follow and understand God's grace until you get these books. Now, when you move to Ephesians, the issue in Ephesians is the church, the body of Christ. Here's my gospel Here's the preaching of Jesus Christ according to this unique program where he's forming this unique group of people. And in here, you're going to find the fullness of uh, of God, and you're going to become oriented to the goal, why did he form the church, the body of Christ, anyway. Why did he save you if it wasn't just to keep you out of hell? And you find out what it is God's doing today in Ephesians. Then you come to Thessalonians. And in Thessalonians, you're going to look to the future. And you're going to see the glory that we're going to participate in the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every chapter of Thessalonians mentions the rapture at the end of every chapter. Second Thessalonians talks about the revelation and how we connect with Israel. But you know, it's interesting. Ephesians has Philippians and Colossians after them because you need more reproof and correction. Thessalonians doesn't have any more church epistles because after the rapture, you're not going to need any more reproof and correction. It just just blows my mind how your Bible is put together a wayfaring man, though he be a fool. All he's got to do is read the book and he'll get it and he doesn't even know he's getting it. That's the reason I said if you just read Paul's epistles, that edification process will take place if you don't you don't know all that it's designed to do it for you no matter what now once all of that's accomplished you've got the life in in the pastoral epistles up here you're going to have the fellowship of the mystery here you have the foundation of the mystery the fullness of the mystery the future of the mystery but this is the now time, what Ephesians 3 calls the fellowship of the mystery. And the word in here is godliness. And <laughs> you see I got glory and goal and grace. The reason I did the G's is because I started out with grace and I said, well, and then I said, but godliness is the word here. So I need two, two G's in there. So I'm, <laughs> I'm being, a, I know nobody thinks I know how to be alliterative. I'm just trying to break the pattern here. But what you get out here in these epistles is all of this doctrine and truth and edification, this is where it's going to live in life. Here's the working of the local church. Now, you don't have to have a, this building is not the local church. You understand that? We're the church, and the local church is the work of the ministry you do together perfected saints do what the work of the ministry so when you have a local church you've got a group of saints that gather together they're the church and then we do the work of ministry together and that is the local church and the local church is simply the outworking of all of that truth that's in here john mentioned it earlier i think it was john Why would you want to have all that doctrine if you never needed to apply it? You you watch kids go to school today. I think one of the biggest cons in the world today is college education. A kid will go to school and come out with $100,000 to $500,000. dollars i got kids in our church that go go off to school and come back with $500,000 worth of debt and can't get a job in their field. I know people that work in corporate America down in Chicago and if you go you go into a department you go into a legal department, most people are lawyers, you go into accounting department, most people accounting, go into any other department, And people that work there, aren't, aren't in their degrees are nothing like what they're working in. About eighty percent of people that get a college education work in something other than the field they got the degree in. Somebody sold them a bill of goods. Why? Hey folks, have you seen people building buildings today? The only people building big buildings today are the government, the medical industry and universities. They got the money. I don't get off in that. My point <laughs> <coughs> My point is that if you've got an education and you never use it, what'd you get the education for? Why did you want to get it? You get all this doctrine, all this reproof, all this correction, and you don't have a place to use it—that doesn't make sense. This is the place where it lives and where it's designed to function, and it's why it becomes serving now. You get the doctrine. Here's the serving in that local in that work of ministry, and that work of ministry is where you where you carry on the function. And that's what, when you go back to 2 Timothy 2, that's what you're doing. And by the way, when, when you take these epistles, you see the church in rule in Timothy. You see it in ruin in 2 Timothy. You see it in remnant mentality in Titus. And then you see it in in remembrance in Philemon. Because when he gets to the end, he says, all that stuff I taught you, here's what it looks like. You go, but you're going to live in a context when it isn't going to be the popular thing. You read through Titus. He says, you go down there and I left you in Crete to set things you are in warning. Things aren't going to be like they ought to be. He says you need to go over here and hold fast to sound words because there are people who's going to preach error and their mouths need to be stopped. They're going to preach, they'll be gainsayers. Chapter 2, he says there are going to be people the contrary part. Chapter 3 says you're going to have to go, be careful to maintain good works because there are going to be some people that are heretics you're going to have to deal with. And he ends by saying be careful to maintain the good works. The way we do ministry is right there. Here's the ruin it's going to be. You know what that tells you? People say, well, let's go back and see what the church fathers said. Didn't he say back early, don't pay attention to genealogies? You know why? Because they're apostate. Doesn't mean there aren't some true believers. There have been people just like you and me all down through the 2,000 years of church history. You just can't find them in the church history books very often. Now, let me ask you a question. Where do you think this meeting's going to show up in church history? YouTube. <laughs> YouTube, as long as it lasts. But you know, how, you know how fast you can get kicked off of YouTube? Just that fast. You know what's going to happen? They're going to do it. You know why? You're going to come along and teach Romans chapter 1 somewhere. And if you teach Romans chapter 1, you're going to be a complete, total offense to the culture of YouTube and Google and Target and Walmart and Congress and the courts. You're going to be a complete, total reject, and they're going to turn your lights out, and you're going to become a remnant, and you're going to have to learn to live in a remnant mentality. We've lived in a, in, a, in a world, for most of us, that was at least cleaned up a little bit by the Christian influence of the Protestant Reformation. It used to be, you can remember, when people didn't do everything they did to play on Sundays. Now, they thought it was a Christian Sabbath, and they were wrong about it, but at least they had some Bible basis for what they did. That's all gone. The big fight right now in the culture is funny to me. The Sanctified Chicken Place, you know what that is. And they're fighting against Popeye's. And Popeye's introduced the chicken sandwich to fight with the Sanctified Chicken Place. And they introduced it on what? Sunday. Because the Sanctified Chicken Place did not open on Sunday. Now, the Sanctified Chicken Place thinks Sunday is the Sabbath day because the guy that started the thing, Fred Beckermire, my brother and my son's Father in law down in Florida, preacher down in Florida, he talked to the guy, and the guy says, Well, it's the Christian Sabbath. Well, that's, that's not good Bible thinking, you know that. But at least it's Bible thinking. You see, it might be wrong, but at least they knew that they ought to take some, but that's all gone. You don't, you don't, but you're going to live in that kind of world. You're going to live in the Popeyes. So he said, Well, what do I do? Well I'd read the book of Titus And you know what he says He says get out there and get on with it dude Take that book Hold fast to that Well you're in 2 Timothy look at Titus chapter 1 Titus 1 verse 9 Holding fast the faithful word Then you better know what that word is That's why John talked about that yesterday Hold it fast As it's been taught You need to be teaching this You need to be sure your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, everybody you know is taught God's word. You say, well, they don't want it. So? If your kids won't listen, find somebody else's kids that will until your kids will listen. You know what I can tell you about your kids? I've raised three, got little experience. If they won't listen now... What's Romans 1 say? They didn't re- like to retain God their knowledge, so he said what? You bastard, you do that. No, he just said, okay, have your own way. I'll be here when you get back. Because you know what? They'll go out, try to do it their way, and how's that going to work? Okay. You reap what you sow. But if you know where to go back, you see what the world, the world reaps it but don't know where to go. But if at least you let your kids know where to go When they need it They'll know where to come back You say well they won't come How do you know? Didn't you? Yeah People say nobody will believe this stuff You got to find somebody in your neighborhood dumb as you are You believed it didn't you? You see God's word will work Your responsibility is just to put it in them Be faithful to it Don't quit just because times are tough Hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able to by sound doctrine you got to know the book and you got to know it rightly divided. Both exhort and convince the gainsaying. Exhort them and convince them. Sit down over a book and get in it with them. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers whoo Especially they of the the religious crowd Whose mouths must be stopped Who subvert whole houses Teaching things that they ought not For filthy lucre. Boy, doesn't that sound like religion? But people need a place to go Where truth is taught Chapter 2 Verse 7 In all things showing thyself A pattern of good works Your life needs to back up What you preach You understand, if you preach something and and people look at you and say, well, you know, I don't see any of that in you. If that's what this makes me look like, I don't think I want that. You see, it's the preaching of the Word of God backed up by the life that that Word produces put on demonstration in your life. There's a guy out there, and you're trying to teach me something, Said, come over here and see this wonderful truth and fight and cuss and kick each other like we do. I can do that out there. Why don't we come over here? But if they see the word working in you, in your midst, verse 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil. Notice You're doing it in the midst of people that don't like what you're doing. That's what remnant mentality is about. Chapter 3, verse 8, this is a faithful saying, These things I will that thou affirm constantly that they may which have believed in God may be careful to maintain good works. If you have to be careful to maintain them, the implication is is there's a temptation not to. You have to work at it. You have to be disciplined in your life. You're not being disciplined in your life to get God's blessings. You're just dis- being disciplined in your life because you have God's blessings and you want them to work and live in your life. Verse 9, avoid foolish and questions, genealogies, contentions, strifes about the law. And they that are, uh, for they are unprofitable in vain, a man who is a heretic. Look at all the different kind of things you're going to face. And what do you do? Just stick by the book. Verse 14, Let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary use, that they be not unfruitful. You see, he wants you to have a fruitful life, the fruit, having your lives filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, under the glory and praise of God, having all that truth of who God has made you in Christ, what he's going to do with us, The hope and expectation that says don't live for now, live for then, but know that now counts forever. And right there is where you make it count. Now, somebody says, "Well, Brother Rick, I don't have a local church. Go out in front of your house, turn around, look at your house, take a picture, get the address in it. And post it on Facebook and say, here's the grace church in my town. You say, can I do that? You got a phone? You got a camera? Got an internet hookup? Okay, you can do it. You see, we get the idea that the work of the ministry's got to be done on a building, on a community. Listen, it's a wonderful thing to have a building. When I say that, understand, I have a building. Okay? I'm not opposed to buildings. But our folks understand that's the church building, that's not the church. And what we do in the building is not the church. The build the people of the church, and we meet together to do the work of the ministry, and we use the building as a tool. Because we can't get this many people in Rick's living room. Or your living room, maybe. Now If you've got a house to hold this many people, we'll meet at your house Tuesday night. But you see, the the tool isn't the issue. It's the work. Understand when you're a part of doing the work of the ministry, I'm trying to say to you, look, this is the 20th anniversary. You need to appreciate what you're doing is what is exactly the way God designed the work of the ministry to be accomplished. This is not just trying to build another religious system. And what you're doing now is going to count all the way out here in these ages to come, producing all of that manifestation because it's that godly edifying that produces the charity. And charity is the bond of perfectness. It's the thing that binds maturity together. So my point on the end of the conference is all this edification stuff we've been talking about, and you you need to, have, you need to listen to what these brothers have been talking to you about that. That's that edifice of sound doctrine that's designed to put the work of the ministry in play. It's not just learning a bunch of doctrine, not just learning a bunch of truth, It's having the life that that doctrine, that truth produces live, not just in you individually, but in your world. The Apostle Paul, says, rightly divide the word of truth. So you say, Paul, okay, Smarty, how do I do it? And he tells you in Ephesians chapter 2. That's where the time passed, but now the ages come from. All that chart there is is the timeline drawn out of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's understanding. Paul says, perfected saints and do the work of the ministry. So I say, okay, Smarty, how do you perfect saints? And Paul tells me. Just read my epistles. I, they're laid out just the way it'll happen. Don't fail to appreciate God's word. It's there for you, no matter even when you don't know about it, but it's great when you know about it. Because if you get it, you will, you, you'll, you'll discover it. Perfected saints should do the work of the ministry. What's that? I'm glad you asked. There it is right there to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Let's just close. That that verse will will be the place to quit. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 8. Really start in verse 7. Ephesians 3. Paul has talked about having the revelation of the mystery given to him by Christ, not made known to other men. Verse 7, wherefore, whereof, talking about the, the dispensation of grace, whereof I am a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual work of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. There's the proclamation. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. That fellowship of the mystery is not, when he says to make all men see, it's not just to make them hear and understand it, see it and perceive it. But it's to put it on display. You see, he says to make all men see. Can lost people see spiritual truth? No. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says the natural man sees not the things of the Spirit of God. He's not talking about going out here and making everybody see right division, getting the truth. Lost people need to hear the gospel. You, be, you hear the gospel, believe the gospel of grace to so God. You are a grace believer. You might not know beans else, but you got that. You're in the family. You're in the church. This is who he's made you. That's a great thing. Then you can grow the rest of the When he says to make all men see the fellowship of the mystery, he's talking, the fellowship of the mystery is the body of Christ. Verse number six, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs in the same body, protected from the promise in Christ by the gospel. I want to take that truth that God's operated in the body of Christ and put it on display so people can see it work. And see the tangible reality of the truth of the body of Christ put on display with lives that are filled with the righteous with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, and the glory and praise of God. And there his life is manifest in us, so I'm crucified with Christ, though of as I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, tangible, real terms, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's his life. And just like that individually, he puts it on display corporately. And seeing the fellowship of the mystery is really what the local assembly is designed to accomplish. Take this intangible spiritual reality of our identity in Christ and put it on display in tangible terms. Have the preaching backed up by the reality in the lives of believers. That's why godliness counts. It's not just to make you look special because if you're in the eyes of the world you're going to look like a A nut sometimes. You're going to be a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Peculiar means to belong to in a special way, but it also means to be a little odd and unusual. Well, when you live as belonging to God in a special way, you're going to look a little odd and unusual. That's Titus chapter 2, by the way, the remnant mentality. So when you're involved in the work of the ministry, uh, whatever level it is, by the way, when Paul, when you say, Paul, what is the pattern for the ministry? Well, I'm glad you asked, he would say. Because he set the pattern. He went into population centers, preached the gospel, got people saved, established them in the faith, put them in local churches to do the work of the ministry, then entrusted them with the ministry to go out and do it again. The key is getting the message out into the world. Getting, you know what the will of God is? That all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what we're here for. I thank God that you you folks have done that kind of work. I thank God we have the privilege of doing it tomorrow and the next day till he comes. Maybe you ought to be a part of that. You say, well, but I got... I got this. I got that. God told me it too long ago. He said, you know, brother Jordan, I'd like to be a part of doing this, but man, I've got so much debt, I can't be a part of that. I got to work two jobs. I said, well, okay. Now you know. Now you know what you need to do. You need to get out of debt. He said, well, how'd you get in debt? Well, you know how you got in debt. You spent my money you had coming in. How dumb is that? You let the lust of your flesh put you in a position that there's things to serve God for you can't do. So what you need to do is is crucify your flesh for the lusts and affections thereof. That's something that's already been true of you. You live like that. You might need to sit down with your life and order your life in a way that who you really are right now can count for eternity. See, it isn't just people that are dopers and drunkards that let the flesh run their life It's people like you and me. I know I'm meddling. But that's what preachers do. I trust you to be adult enough to apply it to your own life. I'm just suggesting that that's what we need to do. We're going to stand and sing a song. I don't know what it is. What is it? What is that? How firm a foundation. That's what we've been trying to talk about all weekend. Let's stand together.